Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. We're another Monday closer to deer season, and we have a pretty highly requested episode for you today with Mr. Tyler Black on hunting mountain deer. Uh, me and Jacob just came fresh off hunting George's opening weekend, weekend which we will talk about uh, in the outro. Um, but in the meantime, Tyler, how are you doing, man? Doing good. How are y'all? Uh, I have a lot less blood than I had this morning because the mosquitoes <laughs> took all of it. Yeah, I understand that. I bet it's miserable out there right now. Uh Oh, dude, it was brutal this morning. I got mauled by insects. Uh, Jacob, what about you? Oh, dude, uh, again, I'm I'm doing good. I actually was smart enough to sleep in or just sleep in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Get this. Get this. Okay. Jacob <laughs> drove all the way down here, all right, and he hunted yesterday. He did pretty good yesterday. And then we he, he stays with me last night, and we wake up at 3.45 or something this morning, and we get we get up. And we leave my place at like four, right before four thirty, and we get out there, and I go to my spot, and I'm hunting, and I'm texting Jacob, and he's not answering, and so I, I eventually come out, and I drive to where Jacob was supposed to be, and his uh, car wasn't there, so I was like, oh, he's probably waiting up at the check station for me. So I drove up to the check station, and lo and behold, there's Jacob Myers asleep in his truck. <laughs> I'm like, I bet he didn't even hunt, and sure enough, he nope. got he got up at four o'clock just to drive an hour and a half to. A freaking sleeping his truck in the woods. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. As as bad as it was, as many guys as was hunting out there, I give her kind of off on the side note right here. And nobody killed any deer, and nobody really even saw anything. That I, I was like, you know what? Let's just make this into a scouting trip. We'll sleep in. We go scout pretty hardcore, find some good stuff, and come back in a couple weeks. So yeah, yeah you didn't miss much, did you? No, no. no. Dude, it, it, I actually, I actually have all my blood in like Andrews. So dude, we're, we're good. My, yeah, man, my arms are messed up, son. That's bad. How were the mosquitoes on the Tennessee trip? Uh, way worse, way worse. Way than, worse. Believe me, what? Oh, they to the point where I was like, they're about to fly. I'm about to get picked up and flown out of here. I mean, <laughs> to the point where I, I'm using a, a thermosel with a brand new cartridge, swapping out pads every hour. They're landing on. Them. Oh, they're laying on the on the thermosel like they don't even care. I sprayed down with permethrin, which is supposed to kill mosquitoes, not let alone you know um, keep them off me. Dude, they were landing on me left and right. I was cut. I mean, I looked like I had you know some black camo on, covered yeah. up with them. And yeah, uh, I've, yeah they, I've left turkeys goblin before because they were so bad. Oh, oh. golly, yeah, dude, them skaters don't care. They're they're flying up and taking a hit off that thermosel. <laughs> yeah, I think those locked it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, that was a that was we instantly dove into a rabbit hole there. But uh, Tyler, man, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and your public land hunting experience, kind of how you got into it and uh, and kind of uh, your style of hunting in the areas you hunt to give people an idea of what we're about to get into. Well, I pretty much, I grew up here in Northeast Alabama my whole life. Um, I, hunt, I used to hunt, well, I still do a little bit, but we, I mainly grew up hunting in Morgan County, um, close to the river there. And like, like y'all said, all I've ever done pretty much was hunted either uh, just free access or 
uh, leased private land. Had some clubs over the years. Hunted in uh, Fayette County for a couple of years in a club, and I just got tired of all the politics and all the jealousy and hurt feelings. So we decided to get out of that last club in Fayette and start hunting public land. Um, from everything we had heard, I went into it thinking it was going to be awful. Um, but like I was telling uh, Jacob earlier, I think my first year hunting public land was my best still to date that I had. We killed, I think I can't remember, five or six bucks that year, the first year I really ever hunted it. I had um, I had been on a couple of youth hunts and stuff when I was younger on public land, but nothing nothing enough to learn anything. So, so contrary to what everybody believed, we went against everything we had heard and started hunting public land to get away from some of the politics and stuff in clubs. And then along with that, like with Skyline, you have 70,000 acres you can hunt. Unlike most clubs, you're going to have 1,000, 1,500 acres most of the time and a lot more competition. So I seen that you could get in there and be a lot more spread out and not near as congested, contrary to what most people believe. So so we jumped into it and it went from there. Yeah, which is exciting because that's very similar to how I was brought up. I mean, pretty much hunting, you know, family, you know, family owned property or just hunting, you know, family leases that, you know, my uncles would lease out, you know, they'd lease out, you know, four or 500 acres between yeah. a couple of buddies and them and kind of growing up with that atmosphere, which was, which was cool, but I got tired, not necessarily the politics. I got tired of the limited opportunities of hunting mm-hmm. uh, because again, my dad never hunted or anything, which some of our listeners have been following us because knows about that. I got into hunting because of my uncles and I got, I got tired to the point where, you know, I wanted to kind of do my own thing and, and really, I didn't want to go sit on the same green field. I wanted to go sit on the same oak flat every time. And it, it, it really wasn't exciting because you kind of already knew what was there. Yeah, You already knew where the deer were coming from. And it wasn't, it, it felt to me, not really, I'm not even going to say ch- not challenging. It just, it wasn't as fun. Then yeah. I started dabbling in public land and saw how tough it was. I'm like, dude, this is like so much more rewarding. And not only is it tough where I hunt, but where you hunt is probably, I mean, we, we talked about this on the phone before we started recording, some of the nastiest terrain in the state of Alabama. Yeah, um, I'm not just biased, but probably the roughest terrain in Alabama. Yes. I'd agree with that. I've been up there. I, I would I would definitely agree. It's like, it's broken, man. It's not even necessarily the hills. I mean, the hills are pretty big for Bama, and they're pretty steep. But, I mean, dude, there's so many rocks, and it's nasty, man. Like, you roll an ankle up in that joker. Yeah. Like I said, I've been to other management areas, and, and, and Dad, when he was younger, they bounced around um, and hunted different places. They would go around back before all the doe days when they would have a doe hunt um, with a rifle. They would bounce around and just go from, like, management area from to management area to management area so they, you know, have a chance of killing killing a doe pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And a buck was always on the table, too, anywhere you went. But they would bounce around with those when they would have a one-day gun hunt for a doe or a two-day doe hunt or something like that. Um and he's and he'll say the same thing it's it's the nastiest stuff you'll you'll get into um we hunt little river quite a bit too and it's just i mean a lot of people would say that's rough too but it's just more or less rolling hills compared to skyline Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so so you started hunting that place what was the transition like for you i mean like it sounds like y'all had a lot of success right off the bat um what what kind of tactics were y'all using right off the bat? I mean, were you just like hitting food sources or, or what did you do when you first jumped into it? The first thing that I had on my mind when I went into hunting it was just to find the nastiest, thickest, and not even so much in some places the steepest or roughest, but the thickest places I could find. Um, 
some places I'll go in and I couldn't see 20 or 30 yards and we were, we were killing deer pretty consistently, you know, maybe and out to maybe 50 yards. That was, that was going to be my max shot was 40, 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't even really worried about food source. What I keyed in on and what has stuck with me and helped the most since I started hunting it was I, I went in and I just completely disregarded any type of sign that I seen as hard as it was because I was so used to hunting some of the most of the private land we hunted was really low pressure and if you found scrapes or rub lines something like that you could hunt it and usually see pretty good deer so at skyline i would go in and i would walk right by rubs the size of my my calf muscle just one after the other after the other and just keep going and i would look for places where i felt the deer were comfortable moving in the daylight and not at nighttime because I felt like a lot of that on that pressured land, a lot of that sign that you're seeing, a lot of the scrapes and rubs is when the deer are out at night roaming around when they feel comfortable and they're just running around rubbing trees, making scrapes all over the place. And over time, as I would walk, I would, I would hunt my way in. I would wait till daylight and I would scout my way in while I was hunting. And then I would sit in a place for a while. If I didn't see anything, I would walk, you know, another half a mile or something and set up. If I didn't see anything, I'd do the same thing. And then I would scout my way back out. So I never would take the same path out that I went in. Even if mm-hmm. I hunted the same, even if I hunted the same parcel, I would go in a different way and I would come out a different way. So I was scouting two ways at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna dissect all that here in a minute. Um, so, but to start off, since you started hunting this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. between then and now, have you have you picked up anything new along the way? um that has changed your tactic from from when you first started to now not really the only thing that i have that i've come to learn in the in the years that i've hunted the six or seven eight years however long it's been there are a lot more deer really close to to the main access roads than people realize and i started off thinking i need to get as far away from everybody as i can get just go 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 <clears throat> and later on now that i've i've killed quite a few deer just really close to the foiler trails I've learned that's not always the case. Sometimes some of your better hunting is right close to the main access roads that everybody's overlooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about the only thing that's really changed from day one. I still have my places that I'll walk a mile and a half, two and a half miles to get to. But I do have those places too where, like I was saying to him on the phone earlier, that I'll just I'll set up sometimes 50 to 100 yards off of a main, like a main highway that comes to there. I can watch trucks go up and down the road all day long, and I see deer all day. Yeah. Now, so it's, it sounds like the kind of the basis of all this is cover, which has been the case with almost pretty much every single one of our past, like however many guests that we've had on who are just like true public land killers like yourself, mm-hmm. everyone focuses on that cover. So yeah. in a mountain terrain, you know, like kind of Appalachian mountain kind of thing, you know, we're not hunting super high elevation in Alabama. Like we're not at 4,000 feet, like we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, but this is the same, you know, kind of terrain that people are hunting. It's big timber, big unbroken timber most of the time, big, yep. huge mountains. Um, so what does cover look like in that kind of setting to you? Cover to me in that setting looks like a lot of big rocks and thick cedars. Oh, okay. Outside of the white oaks and the, you know, the, the red oaks and the oak flats and stuff like that. On the side of these drop-offs where you've got what we call cedar roofs real thick with rocks and cedars and that's usually where your deer are going to spend the daytime at interesting okay yeah i i'm i mentioned earlier i'd been up to that parcel but 
Um, I've, I've, I've never found anything like that before. So can you dive a little bit more into what, what that is? I mean, just kind yeah. of, is now, it kind of bluffy? Yeah. A lot of times it'll be a little steeper. Sometimes you'll find like a flat that's just solid cedar trees. Um, you hardly ever find any pine trees. If you find a pine tree, it's just a, a lone pine tree out in the middle of nothing. Um, but it's usually on your steeper stuff. Cause that's about the only thing that's going to grow there is cedars. And, and obviously you'll have the rocks and stuff that's holding the ground together. Um, and it's usually, I hunt close to, what I'll key into a lot of times, like if there's a big ditch or a drainage that comes down that's real steep or, or real deep, and you know that the deer really don't want to cross it unless they have to, I'll find like a, a natural high spot in it, like a, a natural levee close to one of those bedding areas where the cedars and rocks and stuff are, and sit on the downwind side of that. And then so when the deer come out, they just naturally, it's like a natural funnel, they're going to cross that high spot before they're going to cross in the in the deep part of that ditch or that holler, whatever you want to call it, unless they're, unless they're forced to go there. Like if they're scared or if you jump them or something, that's the only time they're ever just going to go across it in their natural state. They're 99% of the time going to come out of their bed and cross those, those high spots. And, and I, I just sit to where I can see those. Okay. I walk, I walk right past, I'm telling you, I walk right past a hundred rubs in a heartbeat to get to a place like that where there's not a rub anywhere inside or a scrape or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, because I know eventually there's going to be a deer walk across it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that this is, oh, this kind of has to do with that. Uh, where me and Jacob were scouting, we kind of, like Jacob said, we kind of skipped a hunt to, uh, to get some more scouting in. And mm-hmm. we found like a, which we'll talk about it in the outro, but it's a, it's like a very overlooked spot, man. It's like right off, I mean, right off a road. And there's, there's a cluster of rubs right in this one area, mm-hmm. but there's no beds or anything there. And then there's like this stretch of creek where we think the bedding area is down the creek. And there'll be spots coming down that creek where there's clusters of rubs. And we were kind of talking about it thinking like, man, they're probably bedding right there. And they're traveling this part and then hitting this little hub and they're staging up right here. And that's why mm-hmm. we're seeing more rubs. Where you know they might be staging up right there after dark, um, so it yeah. might be worth it to push in a little farther and hunt some of these these funnels that we were finding, even though there was not as much buck sign in them. Um, yeah, and saying that's yeah, that just comes with time because I've walked it out, I've walked everything so much, and I've I've narrowed down some of these places where these deer bed. And I don't I don't know if y'all seen where I posted one of the the bigger bucks I killed this year. I come in, I think I sit on one of those spots. It was a real real deep ditch on to the right of me, and it was I hunted all day. I, and I was getting on toward later in the evening and I knew that my thermals were going to start dropping because it was cool that day. It was probably in the low forties and no wind. I knew my thermals were going to start dropping. So what I done is I got, if I was looking down the hill at the bedding area, I dropped over to the right side of it and got like kind of level with it. That way I knew that my thermals were, would drift off the hill and pass them without them smelling me. And at dark, deer started coming out of there and I know I couldn't have been more than a hundred yards from a bedded down because <clears throat> I would, I would, I'd be watching deer on one side and I would turn around and look and there would be another deer standing there that, you know, just come out of nowhere mm-hmm. almost. And it was just, I knew that a lot of them bedded just right down below a rise that I couldn't see off of, which I knew give me some clearance there where, where I could access it and them not see me as long as they didn't smell me. Yeah. So now, I think by dark, I think he was the last one I seen that big, the big eight point I killed. I think that was the fifteenth deer I had seen. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Nice. So and they were all within a hundred yards of one another, just at one time feeding. So yeah. Now before we get off a of cover, um, I'd like to ask you about uh, mountain laurel. Uh, do you ever find any deer around mountain laurel? Do you find that it's good bedding or anything like that? 
You got to tell me what mountain laurel is first. Uh, it's that like <laughs> waxy leaved stuff that grows up on on like hillsides and it gets real, 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 real thick. Um, it's kind of green. Yeah, it stays green. Yeah, it's evergreen, and you get you about have to have a chainsaw to get through it. <laughs> yeah, you. What I found in the years is some years it'll be thicker than others, and I don't know what causes that yet. I need to look into it. Mm-hmm. But on the years when it's really thick around the tops of the mountains, around the face of the bluff. I hunt higher up the mountains because they use it as bedding cover right up underneath the face of the bluff. And we've had really good luck with that too, um, with deer just hunting right up against where the bluff drops off. Mm-hmm. It seems like the bucks will travel up against that bluff because they know that one side they don't have to pay attention to because they feel like it's safe because they've got the bluff on one side. Mm-hmm. And so okay. if you can get the wind on the opposite side of that, you can get deer coming in between you and between you and the bluff a lot. And especially on years like that, when that's growing really thick, it seems like they're in there a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff is miserable. I hate yeah, Jacob knows <laughs> I know. about that stuff. Jacob's had some fun in some mountain laurel before. Oh, God, yeah. You talk about uh, the one point where you're like, oh, that doesn't look too tall and too vicious to go through. I'm like, I'd rather walk through briars than that crap, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, all day long. Give me rose bushes. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, at least I can see through it. That stuff, you can't even, like, bend it out of the way to walk through. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like privet hedge made of iron. So. <laughs> but yeah, but then like when we get on, uh, when, while we're on the subject of on the, cause I usually notice that it's around the, the top of the mountain more, the, the further I go down the mountain, the less I see of it, it seems like. Um, but a lot of times when I'm hunting actually on top of the mountain on the flatter ground is I'm hunting cut over. Um, mm-hmm. usually up there in the places that's been logged, it's between five and 15 year cut over. And what I look for in there is where you just look at it and it looks all the same. You've got, five billion poplar trees the size of your wrist i look for little openings where maybe some sage grass and some pine trees or something like that is some type of break in that and it seems like the deer will just naturally route to there mm-hmm. yeah just some kind of edge or some kind yeah, of just diversity some, some something different and some type of different tree a lot of times where i can find the pine trees it seems like that's where the deer are in there rubbing and and a lot of times there in those situations i will see bucks where the rubs are because in my experience, they don't just go around rubbing every poplar tree in the world. But if you can find a cluster of pine trees, there's going to be a buck in there using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually. And that I hunt a lot of the cutover. When I hunt the cutover, it's usually on top of the mountain, and that's that's what I look for. Or if I can find a lone oak tree in there somewhere that, that's dropping acorns because there's obviously in a, in a thick cutover, there's not going to be very many acorn trees. So if you find one that's dropping, you're probably you're usually going to be in the deer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, well, I guess we'll kind of use that to kind of transition a little bit. Uh, food sources for for mountain hunting. Um, since you're hunting in Bama, we open pretty late compared to most other states. We open October 15th for archery. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm guessing that the name of the game when you're bow hunting up there is going to be acorns, right? Yeah, white oaks. Oh, yeah. So is and there... not not the big white oaks like you'll see everywhere all over the face of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Those are those are what we call um, a lot of people call them mountain oaks. They're really chestnut oaks. The big yellow and green acorns that you'll find that sometimes you'll walk through a place and there'll be a million of them laying on the ground. Oh yeah, I'm looking for the smaller, what you call a. A lot of times it's a chicken pen white oak, mm-hmm. and they're like a deer will eat a chestnut oak if there's nothing else around. But if the chicken pens and stuff are dropping, that's where they're going to be. Yeah. Hmm. And those trees look They're, very similar, so everybody Google yeah. those trees and, and get familiar with the leaves. The chinkapins, the chinkapins and the, the normal white oaks that you want to look for are going to look more like a, a shagbark hickory. Yeah. They're going to have the, the white flaky bark on them, 
and the chestnut oaks are going to be a real hard bar and it's not flaky. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a little darker. What I tell people a lot um, with white oaks, you know, if, if you're unfamiliar with them, a lot of times you can look at a white oak by the, it's one of the few trees that you can kind of reliably identify based oh, on yeah. the bark. And you can look at the, the bottom of the tree and it's going to kind of look normal. You know, it's going to have flaky bark, but it's not too bad. And it's, of course, yeah. going to be white looking. But the more you go up the trunk, the longer those strips and flakes get. Yep. And then and you, a lot of times, sometimes yeah. it's easy to miss. If you didn't, like me, I'm in the tree business, as me and Jack have talked earlier. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not familiar with that, if you can't look at the leaves and tell the difference, sometimes uh, a shagbark hickory can easily be mistaken for a wild oak. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a good term, too, because like a shagbark hickory and a white oak do look similar based on bark. So when you look at a white oak, and you're going to understand the term shagbark. I mean, because yeah. you, you look at it, you're like, oh, okay, got it. Um, when you look up in towards the canopy and you see that kind of stuff, um, yeah. So, so you're and usually in a ma- usually in a mountain setting, it's going to be no limbs up until about between. Depending on the size of the tree, there's going to be no limbs up until about twenty to thirty foot, and then it's going to have a main fork uh, mm-hmm. somewhere in between that. Depending on the size of the tree, there's got the the trunk's going to fork into two stems between twenty and thirty foot. So yeah, that's an easy distinguisher too. Now, if you're hunting on the edge of a field or something where they don't have as much, um, or the edge of a cutover where they don't have as much um, competition, a lot of times they'll have limbs growing all the way up them. But in the in the middle of the woods where they have competition, there will very rarely even be a limb on them till twenty or thirty foot, depending on the size of them. Yeah. Hmm. Now, are there any specific places that you're finding these white oaks you're looking for? Uh, are are they growing down in in little canyons? Are they growing kind of just everywhere? And you just kind of they're everywhere up there, and you just have to go. Mm-hmm. Like if I ever get to an area where there's say seventy five white oaks within seeing distance, and they're all dropping acorns, that's kind of a long shot. But if I can walk and I can get to a spot where there's seventy five or hundred white oaks and only one or two are dropping within just a forty or fifty yard area, that's where I want to hunt. Yeah, it just concentrates the deer more. Yeah, concentrates them down to a smaller area. Yeah. Now, there are going to be years where there's going to be acorns on every tree, it seems like, that you walk by. And, and those years, it does make it tough. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, they don't have to move very far for food. They know anywhere they go, there's going to be food. And they're usually going to be bedding close to one where they don't have to move very far to get to it anyway. Yeah. Are there any other uh, food sources that kind of jump out to you? Or is white oak kind of like the king up there? Depend, yeah, pretty much. Depending on um, what time of the year I'm hunting, I'll hunt some persimmon trees too. Um, a lot of times, by the time bow season rolls around, they're about gone though. But every now and then, you'll find a good tree that's still holding some. Mm-hmm. And persimmons pretty good. There's a lot of persimmons up there, but they're overlooked a lot around here because by by the bow opener, they're a lot of times they're gone. So yeah, but if you can find a good one that's still holding some, can, you can kill some deer off those too. Awesome. Well, hey. I got a question for you, uh, Tyler, yeah. when it comes to hunting, you know, pretty mountainous terrain, which, you know, Skyline's no joke. I mean, it's the, it's one of the only places in the state of Alabama I look at and I'm like, this is something that's, you know, I would say above my pay grade for a lot of it. Just cause yeah. how rough that terrain is, everything about it. You know, how do you work and hunt or how, you know, how do you hunt that area, uh, and really focus on the wind? I mean, especially, you know, early season throughout, you know, all of gun season, you know, what is that like, especially dealing with the thermals and just everything with that place? You know, how hard is the wind uh, to kind of keep in your favor when you're hunting, you know, pretty nasty terrain like that? A lot of times, a lot of people don't like to hunt when the, when the wind's high, but that's usually my favorite time to go in. Because if I got a good stiff, usually north wind, but regardless of which direction, if it's good stiff, 
15, 20 miles an hour, that gives me a lot better odds because I know the wind is going to be a lot more steady. Um, now, you're going to have variances between hills and hollers and stuff like that. But for mm -hmm. the most part, if you, I try to hunt higher up in the mornings and lower in the evenings, um, especially on days when it's calmer, just to let the, the thermals work to my advantage. But it just took a while figuring out where the deer bedded and really zoning in on that. And then you mainly either play the wind if it's blowing hard or you hunt on on the upwind side of it in the mornings or the downwind side in the evenings. Because in the mornings, your thermals are going to rise on a high-pressure morning. In the evenings, they're going to fall down the mountain. So. Gotcha. Yeah, but, that's um, the one thing. Around a bluff or something, mm -hmm. if you're ever hunting close to a bluff and say the wind is blowing, if, when you come off the top, and the wind is blowing at your back towards the bluff, I can guarantee you 99% of the time when you get off the bluff, the wind will be blowing straight back to the bluff. Mm -hmm. It does what, and I've, I've looked into it and researched it some, it's what they call a wind tunnel. It comes off the top of the bluff and goes over the face of the bluff, and when it drops back down, it hits low pressure there, and it sucks it back under, and which makes it blow back towards the bluff. So I've, I've kind of learned that over the years too. Once you get off the mountain, if you're in pretty close proximity to the bluff, the wind will probably be blowing right the opposite way. Gotcha. Okay, that, that's interesting. Now, yeah. when it comes to, like, hunting the wind and everything, you know, how often are you looking for areas, you know, where your wind can just dump off, you know, the hillside or mountainside, especially that's if you're the, hunting around bluffs? That's the main thing I'm looking for. If I can figure out when sometimes it takes a couple hunts and you bump a few deer, but once I figure out the primary place they're coming from, that's the only thing I worry about. And once I know the deer are coming through that area, I just find a place where I can set up, regardless if I can see as good as I'd like to or not, where the wind's going to dump either, you know, go up the mountain or down the mountain and not bother the majority of the deer. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, see, again, I think that's probably, when, when I look at it, not only does, like, the elevation and everything, you know, something that's very intimidating, but really the one thing that would really intimidate me would be just, the you know, kind of managing the wind. I mean, even mm -hmm. in hill country, you know, wind yeah. can be so iffy just on, yeah, you know, a, swirling and everything. So, yeah, that's, that's got to be crazy. Now, another thing I kind of want to talk to you about, because we kind of hit, you know, we hit on food sources, hit on wind, uh, you know, we kind of hit on, you know, bedding cover and everything. Yeah. Is just like overall hunting tactics, you know, kind of explain, walk us through early season. Really, if you don't mind, walk us through last last year, the first, yeah. you know, eight, nine days of the hunt uh, and, and kind of explain to us what were you looking for early in the season like that and then transition into gun season and how you kind of, you know, change your tactics come that time of the year. Mainly what I'm looking for in both season is, like I said, I go into a spot. If there's a lot of acorns there, I'm out. I'm going to go find another spot. If if the acorns, if I walked a lot, like last year, my first time I went in, um, I went into a spot blind, and there was zero acorns whatsoever. But just so happened, across, I knew across the creek was a bean field. And so I went in there blind, and there was no acorns anywhere. So I dropped back down by the creek where a main crossing was. And I hunted that and killed a deer that day. Um, but in the mountain parts, that's I would just walk and walk and walk. Last year, because there wouldn't, compared to past seasons, there wasn't hardly any acorns anywhere. So I would just walk and walk and walk until I found some white oaks dropping in one area and look for fresh sign. Um, later in the year, as we transition into to gun season, I just I focus more on cover, and I really I really don't even worry about food sources at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for those places where I feel like, and it's worked so far. I'm looking for places that the deer feel feel comfortable moving in the daylight. Yeah, because I figured out if they're not if they're not comfortable moving in the daylight, you're not going to see them. So therefore, you're not going to kill them. 
Yeah, if you don't mind, can you give us a couple run-throughs of a couple different scenarios that you've had uh, both early season, like you know, kind of like what you were saying about how you killed all your does last uh, last year, and then yeah. give us a then after you kind of run through that a little bit, give us a run through of like a couple different hunts you've had where you've been able to kill some really good bucks and kind of how those hunts played out, especially you know talking around some of these bedding areas and how you focus on that. Yeah, most of the time, um, I remember. Now this wasn't last year, but I remember a year and we were talking about persimmons, and I went into a spot and I had I had scouted it it was in the middle of some cutover and i had scouted it probably two to three weeks prior to season and i come in i didn't get the hunt opening day i hunted the second day the first time in and i knew where he was bedded so i walked in i think my gps showed almost two miles that i come in from the other side because of the direction the wind was blowing and i just i snuck in and i knew about where he was bedded and i snuck in and climbed a tree i watched him get out of his bed at 75 yards and walk five yards from me um other times I'm just in the, in the bow season, I'm looking for hardwoods and what, what you would consider in gun season to be wide open hardwoods close to cover. And I try to set up, find wide oak trees within a few hundred yards of the edge of the cutover where it meets the hardwoods and set up on the downwind side of that, especially in the evening times, because I know my thermals, I'll set up on the downhill side because I know my thermals will be dropping off the hill. And if they mm -hmm. come from above me or around the mountain, they'll never smell me. Got you. Yeah. And again, you know, when, when you're hunting at these times of year, you know, during archery season, you know, kind of what are you are using a climber or a lock on saddle? Like what's, what's the situation there and what are you doing during gun season? Primarily in both season and years past, it's just been a climber. Um, and in gun season, I don't think I got in a tree all year last year on public land. It was all off the ground. Um, and a lot of it is, I kill a lot of my deer walking too just in the middle of the day walking if i don't see anything in the morning like i said i'll scout my way out and just and slip through some of those mm -hmm. bedding areas on my way out and just and walk 15 or 20 yards and and stop and look wait for 10 or 15 minutes and then go again and i killed um actually i done that this year we had a spot i had a camera and we were going to go check it me and my brother and i was going to put him in in a little holler in between some cutover and i was going to walk around and get on the upwind side and let my wind blow into him mm-hmm and I got off the four-wheeler and walked around. And um, this is another one of those places I wouldn't. I ended up where the deer fell was less than 50 yards off the main four-wheeler trail. <clears throat> but um, go ahead. No, I was going to say that, that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's kind of like goes back to what you were saying about, you know, sometimes you're walking in two miles. Other times, you know, you're killing deer right off the four-wheeler trail. just depending yeah. on the situation, what's, a lot of what's that, overlooked. A lot of that in both season is really close to the four-wheeler trails mainly because it's hot and i don't want to walk very far and I, and two i know that the, the pressure is not very high yet and the deer are still going to act pretty normal so if i can find some some acorns close to the road that's usually where i'm going to go and i mm -hmm. killed four of the five that i killed with the bow this year were less than 100 yards off the road now a question i got for you do you see day, uh, deer consistently bedding uh you know either early season or late season close to roads if it's overlooked or what are you kind of seeing uh, that allows you to kill deer, you know, that close to, you know, roads and this other human activity uh, that's, you know, holding those deer in those areas. Usually what I've seen is they'll, they'll bed close to the roads early season. And then as the pressure picks up and the people start kicking in there, because you're still going to have activity there close to the roads, whether you like it or not. Um, but the later in the year as we go, I notice those easier to hunt places, the deer kind of spread out and they start filtering into smaller places. Like I was talking about when I killed the bigger buck last year, um, I, I may get in a spot and see eight or 10, 12 deer 
I come out of one bedding area. It's because mm -hmm. the pressure has pushed them down and confined them into a smaller spot where they all feel safe. Whereas to earlier in the year, they're, they're more spread out. It seems like you, I only see, usually I'll see one or two deer at a time. They're more gotcha. spread out. Um, now, if you do find a good hot white oak tree or something, you may see, you know, several deer in one sit, but there's usually not like a whole herd of them comes in at one time. It's usually spread out one deer here, maybe two deer there. But yeah, definitely early in the year, they're more spread out because they're, they've got more options as to where to go because they're not scared. And then as they get more, as they get more pressured as the year goes by, they kind of, they, they move away from those places and kind of confine themselves to, to smaller places, which is why I think that a lot of people get discouraged because they go in and hunt in the same places over and over and over, not seeing any deer. And it's mm -hmm. because you're not there. They've okay. Got, they've moved somewhere. Yep. I, I've got a question for you. Um, in, in, you know, the areas that you hunt, are, are you a, an, an individual that you actually I'm like, either like or don't mind when there's some hunting pressure out there because it makes the deer more easier to get congregated and really find them once you know the area? Certain places, when I go in, like, Say I go in of a morning time on a Friday or Saturday morning and there's 15 trucks parked there. It's, I, I, just, I know it's going to be gravy. And then other places, it's it's right the opposite. You get there and there's 10 or 15 trucks and you know it's going to be horrible. Um, mm -hmm. Because I hunt so, some of those places, like I was talking, those natural levees or bridges, whatever you want to call them in the mountains. Mm -hmm. If you can hunt inside of a lot of pressure and not let the deer know you're there, the people around you will push those deer in towards you. And more than likely, if they come through there, that's where they're going to cross. So those days, I'll, I'll hunt a lot longer. I'll hunt. Sometimes I'll stand a tree all day and, and see deer all day long because people are getting up, you know, between 8 and 10 o'clock and leaving. And then in the evening after they went ate lunch, they're coming back and they're just constantly doing the same thing. They're pushing deer. They don't even realize they're pushing. And they're, those deer are coming through there and crossing those places that I'm watching. Yep. Yeah, which is, which is pretty cool. I mean, I've heard a lot of guys that are just successful on public land you know, once you can find a really solid bedding area that's, you know, whether it's super far back or is this in an area that's overlooked that yeah. these deer are coming to, you can almost have it all to yourself. And the more guys exactly. out there, the better, because they're going to push them to you. Now, exactly. that brings up... that I hunt primarily for that reason. Like, if I know on a, say, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, when I know there's going to be a lot of people, I've got mm -hmm. places that I'll go to just based off pressure because I know they're going to push deer in. Yeah, awesome. Now, that brings up another question for me, which is access. And I know we kind of talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'd like to kind of dive into it more. What do you do and what do you look for when it comes to access, especially when we're getting to a time of the year when the deer are definitely feeling the pressure? You know, early season, uh, you know, you can do pretty much whatever. But when you're coming into, you know, hunting pressure deer, you know, you're getting into, you know, November, late November, getting to gun season, everything mm -hmm. else. You know, what are you looking for for access, and do you do anything creative on access? My main theory on that is earlier in the either in bow season or gun season, when I do a lot of walking, when it first starts to cool off, I'll do a lot of walking. Um, which and now I've learned a lot of areas, and now I know what to do. But when you first go in to learn a place, I would go in, like I said, I would walk one way in, and I would bump deer. So the next time that I went in, say of a morning, I would walk a different way. And I would continue to do that until I found a route that I didn't scare the amount of, you know, less, the less deer, the better that I was scaring. And then I would find places where I wouldn't jump up any deer. And because when you're walking in before daylight in the dark in the mountains, it's kind of just a guess game. They're, mm -hmm. They could be anywhere. They're spread out. They're eating acorns. They're wandering around because it's night and they're not worried about anything. So 
I would just take different paths in and out in the in the really steep places, and and figure out where I was jumping deer up and where I wouldn't jumping deer up. And then from then I created my access points based on that, knowing where I could come in and out where the deer didn't hang out as much. Now, what about during again some of these bigger hunts when you have you know you know there's gonna be a lot of guys out there. You know, how are you looking to access when there's a lot of guys in the woods? That's one thing that I've seen that's kind of tricky, especially, you know, down here where we hunt, you know, we don't have, or we have, you know, specific gun days that you can go hunt yep. on. And yeah, that's, that's how we are. Yeah, so, you know, everybody and their mother's out there. And yep. accessing, especially if you're trying to find that one little honey hole where all these deer are getting pushed to, can be kind of tricky. So, I mean, do you have anything that kind of helps you be able to kind of get to that? Again, you don't have to give away any kind of super trade secrets. But is there anything that you do that helps you be able, you know, obtain getting to that spot, you know, either before the deer get there or just be able to get in it nice and clean where you're kind of getting around all these guys? Because, again, you know, deer can be moving in all day long, especially as these guys get up for lunch and everything else. Usually the main thing at that point when I'm trying to sneak into a spot and not let the deer know that I'm there because I know other people are going to push them in is knowing the the road system on the place where I know Mm – the majority of the people are going to come in from one way. I'll circle around the mountain on my four wheeler or in my truck and park a mile, mile and a half away from it on the opposite side and come in from there. That way I come in from that side and where I may scare some deer from that side, I never scare any of the deer that are going to be coming from where all the pressure is coming from. Okay. So when they're coming from that way, they're scared from whoever's walking in from that way and they have Mm -hmm. no idea that I'm there. Got you. Now that that brings up a question. So the cool thing about Skyline, you can use four wheelers out there on, on some of those trails. Yeah. How do you how do you implement using a four wheeler? And at what point do you ditch the four wheeler and start hiking in? Um, it depends on if there's a lot of people out. You can pretty much ride your four wheeler wherever you want. If there's going to be a lot of people riding, because I mean, one more four wheeler is not going to make much of a difference. Um, but there's certain big tracks up there that's that no four wheelers or trucks are allowed on and those are completely different because you'll have to like i think i killed that one deer last year and i I looked on my gps the biggest buck i killed and i was 2.6 miles from the truck Mm -hmm. so in places like that the some places just you have designated parking areas and other places you just go as far as you feel like feel comfortable (laughs) yeah because some places up there with the, with the use of four-wheelers, there's designated trails that you're supposed to stay on and not get off of, but people have made trails over the years, and they use them. So you could be sitting in a place that you think you're two miles from anything, and here comes somebody riding on a four-wheeler. So it's, oh, it's yeah. good and bad. I mean, there's there's not – in some situations, it, there's not much of a way. Like cause some places, we may ride a truck or a four-wheeler seven or eight miles. So there's there's not really any other way to hunt it, but at the same time, it's it's bad in some situations too. Yeah. Well, this brings up a question I kind of want to get into, which is kind of what you're going to be doing differently this year. So give us a little run through. So you, you actually own your own business now that I think you launched. Was it last year during deer season yes. or before deer season? It was before deer season last year. Okay, cool. So, you know, you, you own your own tree company, okay? So you're an arborist, which it was kind of interesting because I was talking to a couple guys today about, uh, you know, I was like, man, you know, it cracks me up when I hear guys that are arborists that are still hunting out tree stands. Yeah. So, you know, kind of give us a run through what you're going to be doing this year to kind of, you know, maybe get a leg up on just staying more mobile because I think it's kind of cool that you're yeah. finally kind of jumping to it. Yeah, I've, I've been on the I've been on the wall for a year or two now, but I've, I've got a, a tethered mantis on order right now. So it's supposed to be here right around the opening of deer season. I may have to hunt out of a climber a time or two, but um, but 
like you, I'm, I'm in the business, so there's not going to be much of a learning curve. Um, what I'll be doing is I'll take, I'll obviously I'll have my saddle, I'll have a lineman's rope, and I'll have a 30-foot, what I'd call a climbing rope. Pretty much what it is is a safe line. That's what I'm using this year as a safe line. Um, I'll, take, I'll take and clip the safe line onto my side. I'll use climbing spurs, and I'll climb the tree. If I come to, say, a limb or something on the tree that I have to cross over, I will use my my climbing rope, my that 30-foot climbing rope, to tie in above the limb so that I can cross over the limb with my lineman's rope and then unclip from my climbing rope and, and keep going. Once I set up, I will use my that 30-foot rope as my tree tether and put the excess or the excess on the back of the tree, take my spikes off and put a ring of steps up. Okay. Now talk to us about how you're going to get down. Cause I, I, uh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Since again, you, you work with trees all the time, you know, you know, it's kind of go over this. Yes. They already have the 30 foot climbing rope, which mm -hmm. is a two and one there. So you're, you, you gain a little weight there because it is 30 foot long, but it, it's a two and one deal. So it helps. But what I'll do is you take, there, there's different, there's tons of different devices you can use, but this, what I use is called an eight ring. Some people call it a figure eight, an eight ring, whatever it's a uh, repel device. What I'll do is I'll just swap over because I'll be tied into my tree tether, which will be the 30 foot rope that'll hang down to the ground. Mm -hmm. I'll take, get everything ready to go. I will take and lower my rope, my bow on a, um, on a piece of paracord, which will then be tied into the carabiner where my, where my tree tether is girth hitched around the tree. Mm -hmm. And then that makes it uh, retrievable. Mm -hmm. if, it was just, if it was just girth hitched around the tree and you repel down, your rope stuck in the tree. You have no yeah. way of getting it down. So I have that. I'll have a carabiner hooked to my tree tether. Once I get to the ground, I will pull the tag in through with my paracord. My line's retrievable. I wrap up my thirty foot rope and I'm gone. Yeah. So you're going to repel down. You're not going to climb down with the spurs. No. Nope. I want to. Once I take them off and I, when I get to the top of the tree, that'll be it. I'll hook into my repel device and I'll I'll repel down to the bottom of the tree and probably say if I'm thirty foot in a tree, I can be to the bottom of the tree in five seconds. Oh my gosh, that's pretty cool. That's the first yeah, I've heard so, of that. <laughs> and, and climbing with the spurs, just say I'm going 30 foot in a white oak. I can probably be to the top of that white oak and have my my ring of steps set up in less than three minutes. Yeah, I was surprised because I've never been around like climbing spurs or anything until we were turkey hunting in Oklahoma. Our yeah. buddy Matt had some, and I mean, dude, he he straight up ran up this tree. Oh yeah, I was like, dang, I need to get it's some a, of those. I'll, and I. I I have a tree business, so that's what I do full time now. But I used to work for a power company, mm -hmm. so I've I've been climbing poles and trees now for for years. So it's it's just second nature. That's that's gonna be slick, dude. That's that's gonna be pretty cool. You're gonna have to take a video of that kind of stuff if you can. And yeah, send I'll, I'll send us. you one. That, that'll be cool. Um, so kind of getting back on the subject of deer killing. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask you about is when you're hunting this all, this cover that we've been talking about a little bit, um, I want to kind of tie that cover more into the terrain that, that you're hunting on. So when, when you identify one of these areas, and we touched on this briefly, but I want to dig into it a little more. When you find one of these thick areas, like whether it be a cedar thicket or mountain laurel or, what, or whatever it is, somewhere where the deer are laying up, um, what are you looking for around that feature that you want to hunt? Uh, like, are you hunting a lot of saddles? Are you hunting benches that lead into it? Um, what's the topography looking like where, where you're looking on the map wanting to set up on something? 
usually where you on a topo map, the the closer the lines are, that's where I'm gonna be. On the side of a hill that's really steep, mm-hmm. that's where I, I tend to see more of the bucks will run on the on the steep rocky places on the side of the on a south facing slope or something like that in the morning time. Yeah. Um, where the sun will be shining really good, especially on a cold morning, because it'll heat those rocks up, and they'll get in there and and walk around and eat or bed down, whatever they end up doing. But uh, I don't tend to see near as many deer on the flat spots where you can see better. Mm-hmm. But what I look for when I find, say, a cedar thicket or a cedar rough, what we call them, um, what I'm looking for around that is wide open cover, like just wide open, where I know more than likely a deer is not going to be close to one of those natural bridges or a natural. Or, or a saddle. Sometimes saddle of a mountain would work. Because when I look around and I, there's a thicket down here, and maybe I know there's a thicket on around or some acorns that I know they may be going to in the evening times. Mm-hmm. If it's wide open around that, I can narrow the deer down a lot better because I know more than likely in the daytime that's not where they're going to want to be after they've been pressured. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so- if, I, if I run into a spot that's just a lot of thick stuff, just, you know, thick, thick, thick for a long ways, it's it's usually a lot harder to narrow them down. So I know a lot of times in those situations, if you could get in there undetected without the deer knowing you were there, you're probably going to be in more deer because there's more thick stuff to hold them. But it's like hunting a hardwoods with a lot of acorns. It's a lot harder to narrow them down. So yeah, now I'm looking for a place that's wide open around it and just a, a terrain feature that makes them want to come through there. Yeah. So, are you seeing, like, big, heavy, just beat-down deer trails, like, cutting across the sides of these steep hills, or is it more subtle than that? Yeah, where I find places like that where it's real steep and the deer used it, it'll look like a cow trail comes through there. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've found stuff similar to that before. It seems like when the terrain is really steep like that and they got to cut up or down a hill, they, they never yeah. walk straight down it. They'll cut down Mm-mm. the side of a hill gradually, you know, if they're wanting to get somewhere. And yeah. Over time, man, those trails just get nuts. I mean, it's like a hiking path almost. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, or if you can find a spot where, like we were talking about, had a, has a lot of rocks, like not just, you know, smaller rocks, but really big boulders, and you can find a lot of those. If you can find a gap in those that are 15 or 20 yards wide, a lot of times the deer will walk through there too because obviously they don't want to crawl through rocks. Yeah, uh, that's another thing. You actually just took one of my questions right there. Like, uh, I know that up there on Skyline, I call it kind of like rim rock on tops of ridges. You know, like the top of a ridge will have yeah. a bluff kind of line in the top. And it, I've always, th- I haven't tested it, but I've always theorized that if you could walk that bluff and find some good cover on it and find a gap in that bluff somewhere, that it ought to be pretty dang good. Uh, it's, have you hunted anything like that? Yeah, that's that's usually what I key in on somewhere like that. Um, around the edges of the bluff, what we usually do is we'll walk a lot around the tops of the bluffs mm-hmm. and, look, and look off the side of them and just sit there for 20 minutes or so in glass. We don't see anything going around a little further. And a lot of those places where you'll see deer there um, – which anywhere around the face of those bluffs, they could bed because they feel safe because one side of them, they don't have to worry about, or they think they don't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you can find a cut in that bluff, like where a drainage is or something where the deer can say there's a half a mile there where there's no way off the bluff, but there's one opening that goes down the bluff, Mm -hmm. the deer are going to use that like crazy. Yeah. So kind of tying this all together. So like, let's say you've got your thicket um, picked out, like maybe found it on the map or whatever, and you got a terrain feature that you want to get to. Um, roughly, how far do you think you are from their beds at that point? Like, are you pushing right up on some beds, or you, or do you have a nice buffer between you and them? Usually, I'm within a hundred yards, as okay. far as I can, the best I can tell. Usually, and with a bow, 
sometimes I'm closer than that. Sometimes I'm within 75 or 80 yards. You just maybe 50 yards. Sometimes you just have, like I said earlier, just maybe right off the edge of a drop or something. Mm -hmm. They may be 50 yards from you, but that keeps a, that keeps a barrier there in between you where they can't see you. So you can, you can get in there really close if you know where they're at and you have the right access. Yeah. But with a gun, usually I try to get within a hundred, 150 yards because what I found is, even when you like, especially hunting in the evening times, when you do see deer, they're not real keen on moving very far. You'll see them sometimes get up out of their bed and they'll stay in one spot till dark within, you know, 20 or 30 yards. That's where they'll stay. Mm -hmm. And then, and then sometimes I'll sit till after dark trying to let deer get out without bumping them. And then that's when they'll start spreading out and that's when they'll take off. They'll start going here and there and everywhere. Just about as soon as it gets dark enough, you can't see. Yeah, they just kind of scatter out of there. Yeah, they'll start going wherever they want to go. But until then, the last 30, 45 minutes of light, I'll sit there and watch them a lot of times just eat around within 20 or 30 yards where they were bedded. Mm -hmm. Do you find that when you're sneaking up on these places, you can get away with a decent amount of noise? Or are you trying to be like dead, dead, dead silent? It just depends. If If I know there's a lot of deer in there, a lot of times I can get away with a lot of noise because I found that I walk up on a lot of deer like that when they know there's a lot of deer in the area within, you know, a couple hundred yards of one another. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they'll associate me with a deer. They'll think I'm a deer walking through the woods and I'll just walk right up on them a lot of times. Yeah. But if I'm trying to get in really, really tight to a spot, I'll, I'll walk around in the rocks and the cedars and stuff and try to walk on the rocks and in the moss and stuff instead of in the, in the limbs and leaves and stuff and try not to make any noise. But in the morning times a lot, when I'm walking around, I've noticed when I get into a group of deer, I'll bump one or two or walk right up on them and then I'll keep going and I'll walk right up on some more. So I feel like they're, they think I'm a deer until they either smell me or see me. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on the situation. Yeah. If I know I'm hunting a buck that I know is in there within a couple hundred yards of me, I usually try to slip in there as quiet as possible and sit down on the, either the downwind side or, or off to one side or the other so that I know my thermals will drift past him and not to him. Mm -hmm. Now, are you ever trying to get to where you can see down into these bedding areas? Um, not from the ground. If I was to get up in a tree, a lot of times I could probably see down in the bedding areas. But that would probably defeat the purpose of getting that close at the same time because once I got up in a tree, they could see me too. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> a lot of times, I mean, I'm within, no joke, I'm within 75 to 100 yards of them. And then after the leaves have fell, that's plenty close enough to see a deer. So a lot of times I'm watching these deer get up out of their beds and mm -hmm. neither one of us knew we were there. Yeah. Well, I, hey, I've got a, while we're talking about beds and bedding areas, I got a question for you, Tyler. How often, um, when you're hunting these areas, are you seeing, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to break up two questions early in late season. So early season, when you're going to a spot and say you're trying to target bucks, maybe you kill a couple does, you're trying to target some bucks. Are the bucks bedding yeah. in a totally different, totally like different area than where you're finding the does or what's that looking like when you're looking for, you know, a buck core bedding area or core area on a side of a mountain? Like what's that normally looking like for you early season? Early season, they're going to be in completely different places. Okay. When you get into does, you're into does. When you get into bucks, you're into bucks. Mm -hmm. um, going on into gun season, especially getting towards the rut. Obviously, they'll come back together a little bit. Your bucks are going to spread out a little bit. You'll find more individual beds where you'll find like a buck has this certain area, and that's where he beds every time. And then you'll find areas. The does will kind of stay grouped up from the most part what I've seen because I, I, 
several times I've jumped up seven or eight does in one group. And a lot of times later in the year, if I jump up a buck, there's nothing else around anywhere else. So, but early in the year, they're in completely different places. Later in the year, it seems like, well, I say that I kind of contradict myself. The older bucks will be all by themselves later in the year. Um, early in the year, the does will be in one spot and the bucks will be in another. Gotcha. Okay. And does that dictate how you hunt them? As in, like, if you're if you're specifically going out there, again, like, say you kill a couple does early season and you're trying to focus on bucks, you know, especially during archery season, are you going to try to find where you have a hot food source close to an area that you suspect the bucks to be at? Or what, what kind of tells you, hey, you know, I might have a chance at a good deer in this area? Usually when I go in and I find a spot early season for a buck, there's going to be a ton of rubs in one spot and I'll find a few beds within just a couple, you know, 10, 15 yards, one another. Mm -hmm. And what I figured out, it's usually close to a knob or something or the point close to a bluff mm -hmm. where they, they're bedding in different places around that knob or that whatever they're on, depending on the wind. And I'll find, um, I'll find, um, buck rubs and, and even scrapes early in the year. And where I find that I very rarely see does. Um, and I usually, if I get into a spot like that clean, I, I'll kill a good buck. Okay. Now, let's kind of talk a little bit about the rut and, you know, kind of high high elevation areas, kind of like what you're hunting. What is it like for the rut up there? First of all, kind of give us the time frame for when it's normally happening for you guys. And then also – Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and then also, like, are you just focusing strictly on doe bedding areas? And And if so – you know, what is it normally like? You know, are you just seeing bucks filter through all the time or are they kind of staged in there already? Like, what's that situation normally like? Yeah, pretty much. It depends on what spot of the mountain. I mean, because you go, I don't know if y'all are really familiar with the area, but Skyline goes from from Stevenson all the way to the other side, the southern side of Paint Rock Valley. Mm -hmm. um, so, depending, the, the further toward Tennessee you get, the earlier the rut's going to be. The further south you get, the later. Um, on the far south end, usually the last week of January, first week of February is, is wide open. Further up toward Tennessee, like if you're getting on up into Stevenson and other places, usually around Christmas or the first week of January is, is the best weeks. Gotcha. Um, and when I go into a place during the rut, it's I'm going into one of those places where I know, like I said, there's a natural terrain funnel in there close to where the does are going to be. I'm not really hunting bucks at that point because I know if I'm in there with the does that the bucks will come. Mm-hmm. And I don't I tend my I tend to stop seeing near as many or start seeing near as many does. Um sometime around Christmas I usually primarily see bucks. I think I had a trip last year I went and seen uh, I think in two hunts back to back there in the same spot I seen like ten or twelve rack bucks in two hunts and not Ooh. one doe. Dag gum. Yeah. That's and interesting. I mean, place. Solid 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 bucks. I mean I seen a couple little four points and six points but most of them were racked i let a pretty good probably close to 120 inch 10 point go i had him in the crosshairs at 75 yards and i had already killed that other big one down there so i thought well he's about the same size but it was a 10 pointer but I, I had him in the crosshairs 75 yards and let him go and i think that was like i think that was the last one i had seen in that two-day hunt there and I, that was about the 12th book i had seen rack book golly now during the rut are you doing a lot of midday sits Oh, yeah, in the rut, I sit all day. Mm -hmm. If if I do anything, I may move a few hundred yards right in the middle of the day. But the biggest bucks that I've ever seen or killed up there have been between 10 and 2. Mm, interesting, man. We, yep. this, is, this is so cool. 
talking to like you up here in North Alabama, Adrian down in like Central Alabama, Glenn over in Georgia, yeah. Jeff down in South Alabama, and everybody says similar stuff, man. It's it's yeah. really cool to see the parallels like, between all this. The one that I was talking about, I think I killed it on February the first. It was a nine point this year. Um, I didn't post any pictures of it, but I killed it at one thirty, chasing the doe. Um. Let's see. the The first year that I was talking about, when we had our best year up there, I killed the first good buck I killed was with a bow. I killed a 120 inch nine point up there with a bow, and then I killed on Thanksgiving morning. I killed a eight point about the same size, somewhere around ten o'clock. And I took my dad back to that spot the next rifle hunt they had, and he killed an eight point at eleven forty five. The very next rifle hunt, I took him back to the same spot, and he killed a nine point at twelve o five. Dang. And probably one of the biggest deer I've ever, when I ended up, I shot and hit a tree and missed him. But one of the biggest deer I've ever seen up there was at about 11 o'clock. I think it was 10, 30, 11 o'clock, something like that, mm-hmm. chasing the doe. Yeah. Uh, I was about to ask, are they coming through cruising, chasing? or, or Most of the time, they're just cruising. Um, a couple of times, though, I've had them chasing does. Usually, they're just out looking at that time of the day. And it's usually pre-rut. Before they're really chasing does really hard, that's when we do our best. Mm-hmm. Is when they're out just looking for those and they're they're cruising a lot and covering a lot of ground. That's when I seen all the bucks last year when I was talking about I seen all those. I just had killed the big one and I went back in a few gun hunts later and then they wouldn't chasing those yet because all the bucks I seen were by themselves just cruising all hours of the day. And but that's when we see the majority of our deer. That's exciting. Dude, you, you tell I mean that that's the cool thing about kind of like up there, you know, you're hunting one you know, this, I, I guess you call it one management area, but it's so large and so many different parcels on mm-hmm. there. You know, you can hunt it, you know, rutting activity from, like you said, from, you know, Christmas all the way into almost the end of season, which yeah. are end yeah, of season all the way February the 10th. Season because I killed that one February the 1st. Um, this past year, I killed it February the 1st, chasing a doe at one thirty. My yeah. brother killed a 138-inch nine-pointer the very next day at 12.30. Yep just a few miles down the road. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and it was a monster. It was 138 inch. I guess if you took away the kicker that made it a nine pointer, it was 136 inch eight pointer. He killed it at 1130 or 12 o'clock in the day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We get a, we have a buddy of ours that hunts up there as well. And he, he was running, he runs a ton of cameras and, uh, he pulled a camera and showed us some photos and he had, God, I think it's three rack bucks. Two of them were, I mean, absolute studs. Oh, yeah, we've mean, had just, some, we've had some one fifties, one sixties. Yeah, well, he had them. They were grouped back up again, and it was like February. I think it was like the ninth. Yeah, because uh, it was. I remember it was still season, and I was like, Jesus! I was like, Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> that that would be the kind of group that you'd love to kind of get into and get that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, but, my dad uh, messed up a few years ago like that. We had because they scheduled gun hunts like most major areas, so mm-hmm. he went in scouting a spot, and all he had was his pistol on him. He didn't take his bow or anything. It wasn't a gun hunt. He went in scouting a spot off some pictures we had got of this giant, probably a hundred and sixty inch ten pointer. He goes in, and it'll never happen again, but he walks in, and he said it was just dry as a bone, leaves crunching, no wind, no nothing, middle of the day, it was sunshine. And he said he walks over the edge of the ridge, and he sees a deer, and he, he, he said he squatted down. I think this was two years ago. Um, he said he squats down and gets to looking, and there's like four or five bucks there, and one of the bucks was that big 10-point. And he said they ended up coming like 30 yards from him. <laughs> he didn't take his bow or anything, because, I mean, what, what are the chances? You know what I mean? Oh so, yeah. So he's just scouting way off this mountain, so he didn't want to carry anything that he didn't have to carry. 
and it wasn't a gun hunt. I mean, it was gun season, but it wasn't oh, a gun hunt. So, so he, he don't take his bow or anything. He has his pistol on him. He sits there and watches them at 30 yards for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And mm. He said it was a – the one's a giant, obviously. And it was running with two or three other bucks, and, and two of those were, were shooter bucks. And he had to sit there and watch them at 30 yards. Dude, that'll make you want to throw up right there. Oh, yeah, he said he was, he was sick. I want to cry for him. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously we got pictures of him up till last year and i don't know if he died or if he got killed um so we'll just have to see but um we're still getting pictures of him but we've never seen him again wow we're hunted all around him on every side we could imagine never seen him again mm. but we're getting pictures of we're getting pictures of him in the daylight pretty regular um, on up into like february and march but we I, I, <laughs> we can't go in there and kill him yeah dude i've got a uh i've, I've got a i got a trail camp i didn't even show you uh of uh a guy turkey hunted this year. He had some private land right next to Skyline, dude. And I want to show you a deer he had out there that he was chasing for a few years. And it disappeared as well. But it is probably one of the biggest typical bucks I've ever seen in the state of Alabama. I really? mean, it, oh my God, it's a giant, dude. Absolute giant. Uh, which, I mean, that whole area, dude, is known for big deer. I mean, there's so oh, yeah. many so many quality bucks that come out of there. But the thing is, I think what keeps a lot of people from hunting it is kind of like what I was saying earlier. It's intimidating. You look yeah. at it, you're like, dude. This is it's a place just, that will make a man out of you. It's, or the, perfect, it's you. the perfect scenario for big bucks. I mean, you got all the mountains for them to hide in and get old. And yep. then in yep. the bottoms, off the mountains, you got all the cropland you could ever imagine. So, I mean, yep. it's just a perfect scenario to grow big deer. And I've seen, since I've been hunting it, I've seen several not, now there was one really big deer that I've seen that was brought off the management. I've seen several 130s and 140s. But on private land that borders the management area around, I've seen a couple 160s, 70s, and then not far from it, a 180 last year yep and dude i believe it i mean there's always big deer getting hit in the roads over there i mean oh yeah you know you always see there's i, I didn't see anything this year but you know last few years there's you know always a giant what's what's the road that runs up to huntsville um 72 70 yeah there was a giant that got hit a couple of years ago and i was like god i was like oh, dude yeah. that like it looked like it came off a deer farm but no it was, it was free range you should have seen some of the ones that came off the the refuge hunts up there when it first opened it oh was, it was unreal Oh, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I mean, I've heard Unreal. stories. I've been, Actually, I met a landowner last year around one of those places, and I, I was talking to him because so I was trying to get access to get to the back of a property. And uh, anyway, it turned out he wasn't the owner of this property that was adjacent to him, but he showed me some deer that he's killed just north of one of those properties. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Oh, I mean, no. dude, dude, you know a guy's killing big deer when he's skull mounting or just cutting the skull plates off like 150s? Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's like, oh, Gosh. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. Well, so, I'll have to get with you and see if I know him. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, uh, one other question I've got, and then I'm pretty much wrapped up, dude. I'm just kind of pumped for, for October to get here. Um, oh, yeah. You know, what What tip – because, again, we got guys that listen to, throughout the country, especially up and down, you know, pretty much the Appalachian Trail, you know, all the way up to, you know, uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice would you tell somebody that is hunting, you know, mountainous terrain anywhere on the Appalachian Trail or, you know, some of the parts of, you know, southern Ohio for them to kind of go out there and find some of these deer, especially if they are hunting public land? Yeah. The first thing I done was bought a good GPS and a good pair of boots. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, for the first, the, probably the first three to four years that I hunted, that's all I done was walk and walked and walked and walked. And over time, I just by jumping deer and blowing places out i figured out where the deer were and where the deer wasn't and i which obviously you have every type of gps you could imagine on our phones nowadays so that's what i use but i started out with a little uh, garmin handheld 
just to to mark my ways in, mark my ways out, and mark waypoints along the way of where I found deer and where I found sign and stuff. And that's another point that I forgot to get to is is after I I looked one day and I probably had fifteen hundred waypoints on Skyline just alone. Um, and I got to notice, and this is where I kind of changed into hunting where the deer moved in the daylight and not where the deer sign was. I noticed where I would be jumping these deer up in the daytime, I would I would put a waypoint every time I jumped deer up somewhere. And none of those waypoints would match where I was seeing the deer sign. So I, I kind of came to the conclusion after a while that those deer were not in those areas where all the sign was during the day. Mm-hmm. Mm. All my waypoints that I marked where sign was was never anywhere near, or usually never anywhere near, where I was jumping deer in the daytime. Yeah. So, so it just, well, I would pull it up. It would just be like a contrast because I would mark them with different colors and you could see just a obvious line as to where the deer sign was and then where I was seeing deer and jumping deer in the daytime. That is interesting. Yeah. One thing yeah. I'm trying to get better at is actually plotting out stuff I see in the woods on my map uh, because yeah. it's easy to look at something and be like, yeah, I'll remember that. But yeah, there, there's something really to be said about plotting a lot of the stuff that you see, even the little stuff, and then being able to yeah. look at all that together on a map and like understand like where everything is related to one another. I yeah, because I mean, difference. I got to where I was marking all the rubs I seen, all the scrapes I seen. If I jumped one deer up, I would mark it. If I jumped ten deer up, I would mark it. If I sat in a spot and seen a certain amount of deer, I would mark it and put what time of the day, what the weather conditions were that day, and then it finally just all kind of filled out. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a powerful tool right there doing something yeah. like that. And especially but see, we use that we use that in both places because you've got Little River too, and that's where we hunt a lot, like in uh, mid December, mm-hmm. because they go into rut a lot earlier out there. We'll hunt the rut out there in mid December, early to mid December, and then come back to Skyline around Christmas and on. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tyler, is there anything that that you feel like we might have not hit that you'd like to say? I believe we about covered it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we tore this one down pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, man, Tyler, we appreciate you taking the time to come up here and talk to us, and uh, I hope you have another stellar year up there in North Alabama. Yes, sir. I can guarantee you I won't be killing as many does, but maybe I'll kill some good bucks. <laughs> y'all need any deer meat, let me know. I hear you, man. I might. <laughs> hey, and if y'all are up this way, too, we got a deer processor, Black's, uh, Black's Deer Processing, Black's Tree Service. Oh, sweet. Where can, uh, where can people find your business in case they need Facebook. some tree work done? You got fast, uh, Facebook, uh, Black's Tree Service, Facebook, uh, Black's Deer Processing. Sweet, man. All right, everybody, that wraps up the interview with Tyler, which was pretty awesome, if I don't say so myself. Uh, I learned a lot from it, and it got me all pumped up for this deer season even more, which this deer season actually arrived yesterday, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, Jacob, what did you think about that episode? Oh, dude, that that was freaking awesome, dude. I mean, Tyler Black is a guy I've been following along with her for probably almost two years now. And finally able to get him on the phone and talk through his tactics and everything for hunting, you know, really some of the hardest, hardest to access, not really not hardest to access, but hardest on your body physically pieces of public land in Alabama uh, was fantastic. But also extremely relatable for, I think, anybody that's hunting like the Appalachian, any parts of the Appalachian Mountains. You know, the only difference would just be the elevation, but other than that, it's going to be very similar terrain. Um, dude, it was awesome. I mean, he got me fired up, but really, he answered a lot of questions that I was really wondering about when it come, when it came to, like, how to hunt the wind, you know, what are you looking for for, like, you know, bedding areas, uh, you know, in that kind of terrain, because it is so much of these wide open hardwoods. You know, what are you looking for on the uh, the different varieties of, of vegetation that these deer are bedding in? 
and just overall, how do you hunt it? Because when I look at that kind of crap, dude, and I'm seeing boulders and the crap on the side of mountains, like just rocks everywhere. I'm like, oh, dude, there's no deer in there. And he, he pretty much just said that's where he's going to go and find deer and, you know, the deer feel comfortable in those areas. So mm-hmm. you got to hunt them where they're at, man. So not where you it, it was, to be. It, it was awesome, but it still doesn't make it any less overwhelming like that area just because of how rough it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is rough and, uh, you know, uh, Skyline is like one of those kind of giant public parcels, which is why, like, if it's a smaller parcel, we usually bleep it. But Skyline and Bankhead and stuff, like, those two are just giant parcels. I mean, I don't think we're really burning a spot since they're, like, you know, 70,000 acres or some crap like that. But um, I could see places kind of like Bankhead National Forest um, kind of being similar to that. Where it's it's not necessarily like big ridges, but Bankhead's got some real rough stuff on it, a lot of bluffs, um, as well as other parts of Alabama, and now some places that I've been hunting in Georgia as well, and even Tennessee. I mean, really anywhere where you've got kind of monotonous timber, I think that you could apply this, uh, just because, you know, he is hunting like kind of different stuff than a lot of people, but... I mean, we mentioned this earlier, the basic principles of what he's talking about pretty much hold true with a lot of the other guys that we talked to as far as, you know, first things first, and that is find the cover. It's like a deer has to have good cover, and uh, going and finding that first and then relating that to everything else is kind of how these guys are having a lot of success, it seems like. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, it's relatable, whether, you know, you're talking Glenn Solomon hunting, you know, the coastal regions of, of Georgia you know, down the swamps and everything, finding the thickest, nastiest cover he can get to in the in the middle of a, you know, sawgrass flat and killing deer to, you know, pretty much, you know, Jeff Homan in South Alabama hunting thick pine, you know, plantations, you know, having success in those areas because that's where the deer are held up to, I mean, pretty much, I mean, again, like Tyler, you know, hunting the mountains of Alabama, which, you know, compared to other states aren't necessarily all that big, but it's still some of the roughest country in the state. And, and again, looking for the exact same kind of stuff, again, thick cover. Yeah, sure, the, the vegetation, everything's totally different from, of course, like the salt flats down in south uh, Georgia. But again, it's that same principle of finding the thick, nasty cover that these deer feel very safe in, especially when the pressure gets on them. You know, early season, it might not be as key. But especially, you know, come firearm seasons and everything, especially in Alabama because our season is so long, uh, that's where they're going to be at. And, I mean, he's a he's a he's uh, this proof that even a guy that's only been hunting it for seven, eight years compared to some of these other guys that we've had on that's been hunting for 30, 40 years, you know, you can have a ton of success in those areas as long as you put boots on the ground, cover ground, and hunt it smart. I mean, dude, like he was saying, he drops pins every time he runs in the deer and they actually can look back at it and figure out, you know, where these deer are really staging and staying in the daytime and where he needs to hunt them, which I thought was extremely smart when he brought out about how he's been dropping all these pins, you know, on that property. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty awesome. And, again, we touched on this a little bit as well, but uh, really, I mean, anybody who lives in the Appalachians, you know, like any eastern mountain chain, I think that this would apply to you because uh, we did have – quite a few requests for somebody to cover something like this, uh, some like mountain hunting topic. Cause it is very unique. It's a very unique terrain type. And I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, part of the reason we started this podcast is because pretty, pretty much all outdoor media with a few exceptions focuses on the Midwest. 
And for the most part, that's going to be like agricultural land and stuff like that. And we just don't have that where we were from. So it's like they were talking about stuff that we just couldn't even relate to here. And I, I know that mountain guys probably feel that way with some of the stuff we've been covering lately. We're we're talking planted pines and, and cutovers and marshes and all this other stuff that we're hunting kind of in lower areas. Uh, so hopefully this, this uh, I don't know, gave, gave people some new ideas about how to hunt mountains. And uh, I would say even if you're at a higher elevation, like a very different vegetation type than what we're talking about, like let's say you're like North Georgia mountains or, or um, Eastern Tennessee or something like that. Maybe that thicket's not like one of these like cedar thickets he was talking about. Maybe it's the mountain laurel, or maybe it's uh, I don't know a, a stand of hardwoods that that died somehow, like some uh, disease or pest infestation killed some hardwoods and a thicket grew up around it. Just like I I would suggest taking taking the base advice here, which is like. Find that good cover and then relate things back to it. Uh, figure out what that good cover is in your area simply by going out and, like he said, bumping deer and just laying eyes on what they are actually doing in the places they're actually using during daylight hours. And then you can kind of build that knowledge base up and, and bring it elsewhere. Yep, exactly. Which, again, I find it's fascinating, especially, again, knowing how rough this place is it's just, it's it's awesome. I mean, it really is. Especially the kind of success he's had over the last six, seven, eight years hunting out there. It's just been it's been fascinating because it is so much different from anything that I personally have ever hunted. Now I know you find something you know something similar to that, um, but you know compared to everything I've hunted, at least for deer, the, the, it's again that's probably more that's more to me that's more overwhelming than going hunting a swamp. Uh, you know, hunting, you know, South Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, Del- Delta area or anything like that. To me, like where he's hunting is more overwhelming than anything like that. Just because the elevation change, you're hunting around big boulders, rocks, you know, continuous hardwood stand, you know, forest that is very open, especially when the leaves come off. And it, I mean, it, talk about put me out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm talking about hunting, you know, the thick, nasty pines. You know, put me in a wide open hardwood flat. I'm like, what the? I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I can relate. Well, hopefully, uh, we'll also be able to apply some of this where we've been hunting. Uh, so I guess now we'll cover kind of what happened this weekend um, on this Georgia hunt. So um, Georgia just opened up, which many of you probably know about, because I think that Georgia is actually our biggest state for downloads. Um, so good job, Georgia. Um, but uh so we hunted some Georgia public land this weekend and uh it was kinda rough, wouldn't you say? Uh said least, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um uh, I mean there's a lot of things I think kinda added to that. One was I feel like I don't know if I haven't been watching the weather down there, but you know, it was extremely hot. And then also you have, you know, a bunch of guys dove hunting this absolutely blasting way, which may or may not have affected the deer, but Mm-hmm. yeah dude i mean as many guys that were hunting that place and it didn't seem like really anybody killed anything uh that's extremely surprising especially after knowing the deer numbers on that on that property yeah i mean there's a lot of deer out there but you know it really goes to show that it doesn't matter if there's tons and tons and tons of deer on a place you know if if they're not moving they're not moving there's not much you can do about that uh mm-hmm. outside of like some kind of man drive and man driving while bow hunting is kind of difficult um uh, basically opening morning, we were using some creative techniques. We were 
so the main area we wanted to hunt was unhuntable basically uh for this um for this particular weekend um just because of weather conditions and stuff so we i think that we both kind of just kind of did some go for broke stands like okay i've never been in here this looks good i'm just gonna punch in there and see what happens just kind of throwing a sit at something uh i did that and i i actually have this hardwood bottom that runs up to a road and it hits that road and then on the south side of it there's a cutover and on the north side of it there's some planted pines well, those planted pines got scorched in a fire, and some of them died, so they got some real nice thick stuff in there. And in order to, to access this, I was swinging around from the south and walking north through that cutover, which wasn't too bad. Um, I mean, it, it was thick, but it wasn't really terrible. And uh, when I drove past that hardwood bottom, there was a guy uh, walking into it with a climber. And so I figured he probably wasn't going more than 100 or 200 yards, and I was swinging way down anyways. So I went about doing my access, you know, the same way I was. So I'm like probably five, six hundred yards down this hardwood bottom. I'm like way down from him, uh, sitting in a saddle going through those pines. Uh, saw a deer right off the bat, a little young buck. Uh, and then that guy up the hardwood bottom actually had some deer blow at him and come towards me, but they never came to where I could see him. And I mean, that was pretty much the extent of my morning hunt. I mean, there wasn't really much to it. Uh, Jacob, what about yours? Well, mine... Again, after forgetting my saddle, uh, <laughs> one, one of three of them, because I own three and somehow forget to put any of them in the truck, uh, pretty much was just kind of going to hunt off the ground, and I didn't even bring a chair, so I was just kind of still hunting. <laughs> and uh, it, it just, you know, wasn't great. Really, the whole situation was, and I kind of had this feeling was like, it was going to be one of two things. Either we were going to have success just because the overall deer numbers and kind of be able to get into a really hot spot, find a really good feed tree make it happen or is we going to be pretty much a, a, a long scouting trip um, and kind of break it down. And that's pretty much what that morning was. I pretty much just scouted my way uh, through some, you know, Creek balls and everything. And it just blew me away how open everything was. You know, you had ponds on top of the ridge, you know, hardwoods down the bottom, big white oaks. And uh, you know, there was a ton of deer sign trails, you know, old rubs, a couple fresh rubs and everything else. But you know, it was just one of those things that it, it, I don't know. It, I didn't go far enough for sure. I think I only went in, I think a total like six hundred something yards mm -hmm. uh, from, from from where I parked. And really, I should have gone in like a thousand, and that would have been right at the, like the sweet spot that you and me looked at in the back corner of that little piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, this wasn't nothing. It really didn't. I mean, did not see any deer. Uh, really didn't get anything super exciting in there, uh, and just pretty much hiked on the way out. Talked to a, a guy that was dove hunting on the way out, uh, just about really more about the property. He's like, yeah, you know, we've seen a bunch of deer sign and everything around where he was at, but uh, nothing was really going on. Plus that, you know, they're banging away and everything else with that. So, yeah, you know, that morning hunt was, you know, no bueno, which, you know, after having so much success in, in Tennessee, that's kind of a downer, uh, you know, early <laughs> early season in Tennessee. Because you're like, oh, this is the start of deer season. Well, my start of deer season happened, you know, August, you know, 24th. And uh, anyway, that was a downer, dude, to say the least. Uh, but, but, um, the one thing about that property is it's kind of similar, like, where we found it back in Alabama. But it's also very, very different because it's, to me, like, way more highly managed, which is awesome. But also the access on that place is so easy to get around everywhere. Yeah, it's, it really there's is. No, 
there's no such thing about like getting a mile from the road because there is there's no there's very 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 few spots on that place I think you could get a mile from the road. I think I don't think yeah yeah easily yeah very easily not to be able to do that. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, Georgia takes, man, y'all folks in Georgia got some good WMAs. Like, Georgia takes care of their places. Uh, just coming from Alabama and now going and hunting some places in Georgia, uh, pretty much all the Georgia WMAs I've been on, which I hunt several now, are all really nice. Like, got roads taken care of. Georgia's got some really, really awesome uh, mapping software where you can get on their GIS and go literally – Look at a property, and it'll have um, like polygons over the fields, and it'll have the roads traced out, and you can click on it, and it'll tell you if the road's open. Some of them I've seen have like gates, and you can click on the gate to see when it's open and when it's closed, dude. It's it's awesome, man. Georgia's pretty sweet, but uh, like you were talking about, this this area, uh, there's a lot of deer there, but we got our butts handed to us. Um, definitely a lot of roads, which is challenging from the aspect of you can't really get away from people. But also, the real plus side to it is the fact that you have great access for pretty much any spot you want to hunt. Uh, I mean, no matter where you're going to end up going to, there's going to be a way you can access it from almost any cardinal direction, which is super helpful when, you, when you're dealing with crappy wind situations where you might be able to hook in from, from some other way, you know? Yeah. And after talking to guys from South Georgia, just really in Georgia in general, and they're talking about like using climbers. And, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why I would never even think about not using a climber. And after being there, I 100% understand exactly what they're talking about. I could maybe count on one hand how many trees I saw that you could not get a climber in that would have been a, probably a decent spot to hang in. Other than that, dude, I mean, I totally understand why guys use climbers down there because every freaking tree I saw, whether it was a pine or oak, you could get 25, 30 feet up with that much of an issue. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's just crazy because that is, that is not the case necessarily like around here or really any other place I've ever been to. Uh, so that was very fascinating. And that aspect, I'm walking around the woods. I'm like, oh, my God. I now understand why these guys are so, like, dedicated with their climbers in this part of the country because every mature tree, I mean, you could get in, every mature tree. Um, except for some of the ones that were around, you know, openings that were a little more limited Other than that, you know, shoot, it was just like, all right, just close your eyes, spin around in a circle and point and you can get whatever tree you're pointing at. <laughs> yeah, that really is the case. Um, so man, one thing that was interesting is he was talking about, Tyler was talking about, uh, getting up in the mountains and just kind of walking until you bump deer and then kind of just seeing what they were doing and where they were bedded and just learning from that, uh, I really wanted to do that where we've been hunting uh, in Georgia, but, uh, you know, I don't really want to go bump deer at this point, but uh, we ended up scouting a little bit, and we didn't bump anything, but, man, we found some hot, hot sign, a lot of it, too, of which I'm pretty excited about because I might go back in there and hit that on Thursday uh, if the wind is right, but I, I think that the stuff that we found – I need, we need to put it in a video because it's what we talk about a lot when you're talking about like finding good hot sign. I mean, where it's like deer using this right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty good representation of that. What do you think? Yes, but again, whether or not they're using it, 
a ton during daylight hours. That's what I'm very curious with. Um, yep. I feel like up until like two weeks ago, that was the case. Like for sure, using it during daylight hours. Yeah. Now those staging areas, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe that last 20, 30 minutes of, of legal light, you, you probably have some deer filtering through there, but I'd be very curious to see what that's turning out to. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you're looking for. There's a ton of sign, a ton of what looks like night beds where they're bedding in like wide open areas, uh, probably feeding, chewing their cud, whatever. And there's a ton of them. Um, that along with a mix of rubs and heavy trails, creek crossings, all that kind of stuff, all in one area within a couple hundred yards of each other is fantastic. Uh, yeah, really, yeah. it's the kind of it's kind of point where I'm like, oh man, can I wish I had a cell camera right now? Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the The spot we found is like a, I mean, it's basically your typical SMZ that runs through some pines, you know, just a good little hardwood bottom. Uh, but the pines that it runs up against are like perfect. They're great size pines. Um, where they're, how big would you say they are? They're almost big enough to get in. Uh, they're probably most of them are probably. I'd say five inches in diameter, but you had quite a few of them that were much smaller than that. Mm-hmm. But probably on average, I'd say probably four or five inches in diameter. But yeah. they were only probably twenty feet tall. But they're, I mean, I guess you could get a, get them with a, a you know like saddle maybe. I mean, if you move, that whole sucker is gonna freaking sway one way to the other. So it's it's the it's the height that deer can walk through them, I and there's plenty of cover inside, like there's vegetation growing and stuff inside of it. But it's too small for anybody to try to like get a stand in or try to still hunt through because it's gonna be way too loud yeah yeah that's true and, and the deer can kind of get through them pretty good i mean uh they're they're the perfect height to where they can hide a deer really well but also the deer can ease through there without too much trouble which is i think is perfect and and that smz has a lot of white oaks in it and real none of the white oaks are dropping yet uh there's some water oaks in there and all those water oaks are dropping. You had those little bitty, little bitty acorns laying all over the place, uh, and it seemed like the deer were just kind of hanging out down there, just you know, tearing up those white oak or the water oak acorns, which is really encouraging because once those white oaks start dropping, it's only going to get better, I think. Uh, so we'll just have to see how it turns out. But I mean, it, it's starting out pretty good, I would say. I mean, we had a few tough hunts right off the bat, but. We did find a place that I think has a lot of potential, especially as we start moving later into the year. Uh, I think it'll get even better. Yep, exactly. Yeah, man. Uh, you got anything else? I feel like I'm forgetting something that I really wanted to say. Uh, bring your saddle next time. Yeah, bring your saddle whenever you go on a out-of-state hunt. Don't forget that. Otherwise, you'll be sitting on your butt in the dirt all weekend. It's- yeah, it really didn't matter because, I mean, you didn't really see a whole bunch of deer. I didn't really see a whole bunch of deer, so that really didn't matter. But, you know, uh, oh, dude, I, I, okay, well, I, I will say my sit yesterday afternoon, I had the one exciting thing I had. I was sitting around the edge of, like, a, a split in a creek where there was, a, like, an old or a fresh rub line and a bunch of trails coming through uh, down this SMZ. And, dude, I, I, I heard something, and I looked down to my right, down to the creek, and, dude, there is, like, there is like one monster coon bro at like three <laughs> yards just like chilling in the creek not looking at me i'm like oh shoot dude and uh then another one popped out i guess they were like coming out of the bank like underneath me like there's a big root wall like root ball i guess like exposed like down base of the creek and uh dude they were just like up walking up and down the creek right there in front of me like at three and four yards and i was filming them it was, it was crazy then they smelt me and booked it you know and it's kind of funny watching a fat coon walk to the or run through the woods i guess it looks like me if i was running <laughs> 
so <laughs> it's just just waddling as best as it can <laughs> quickly waddling through the woods pretty much <laughs> poor, poor poor guy yeah uh tip of the day everybody don't forget your thermosel because i got destroyed by every biting insect in georgia this morning like i'm pretty <sighs> sure i need a blood transfusion it was bad i mean real Man. bad yeah that was pretty stupid uh but anyways uh, as always, if you uh, enjoyed this, please share it with a buddy. We'd appreciate it. Uh, Jacob, you got anything else with that? Yeah, of course. Again, you know, share it with a buddy. Uh, make sure you, of course, are like and subscribe to us. Uh, of course, subscribe to the podcast if you're not. I don't know how you'd be listening to this if you haven't subscribed. But if you aren't, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Instagram, and then follow us on YouTube at The Southern Outdoorsman. You can find us on all major platforms. And again, if you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does uh, help us reach more people, and we really do appreciate it. And I just love hearing your feedback. Guys, if you have any questions about anything we've covered on this week's episode or any other week's episode, please message us, especially on Facebook. It's very easy for us to get back to you uh, on those questions. And if you have any topics you'd like to hear in the next coming weeks, let us know as well. Uh, squirrel season just opened in Alabama, and I'm going to try to go squirrel on tomorrow after work. So we'll, we'll go see how that works out. But uh, super pumped about that. But anyways, guys, y'all stay safe, have fun. If your season's open right now, go kill some deer, man, and show us some pictures because we are pumped for it. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.